How's it going, everybody, and welcome to episode 128 of Master My Garden podcast. Now, this week's episode is, uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to it, actually. It's one that was requested by a listener from this area, and it's with head gardener of Ballymull House, Mags Coughlin. And, yeah, it's a, I suppose the, the listener was asking because, I suppose, we spoke, we spoke a lot or we talk a lot on the podcast about different areas having, I suppose, you know, being earlier than others and this person who requested that I see could I talk to somebody in Ballymaloo is from that area and she wanted to have you know sort of insider knowledge in that area so I'm delighted that Mags is joining us on the podcast and we're going to talk about Ballymaloo House and the gardens and so on so Mags you're very very welcome to Master My Garden podcast. Thanks William John lovely to be here. Yeah so as I say it was a it was a listener who originally asked would I be able to get in contact with somebody down there she she was not too far from down there a couple of kilometers from Ballymaloo house I believe and Mm -hmm. was interested to talk to somebody down there because the gardens are pretty spectacular I haven't actually seen them yet um well sorry I did but it's a long number of years ago about 15 years ago and I thought I was there last year but I was actually in the cookery school and not Ballymaloo house so um tell us about the gardens themselves and the job that you have there as head gardener. Yeah. Um, so the the walled garden is uh, approximately two acres, and it's an old Victorian walled garden that we have here. And my job is to grow the fruit, vegetables, and cut flowers for the kitchen and for the house, uh, and to make sure I can supply the house um kind of year-round, but uh, there's obviously hungry gaps and different types of weather conditions and things like that that we have to deal with. So in as much as possible, we're growing, um, as I say, the fruit, vegetables and cut flowers. And I focus on trying to do um, more unusual vegetables um, or unusual varieties that we can get our hands on. So you're probably working closely with chefs then, you know, to to find something different or to to have a different angle or something with a bit of a different taste, I guess. Is that uh, part of the of the remit to talk to the... Oh, yeah, completely. We 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 start with the chefs in November when we right. sit down and kind of review the year because I order all my seeds kind of November, December time. Yeah. So we sit down with them at that time of year and uh, review how well things did. Um, varieties, uh, we're always asking them to come up with... Um, different varieties they might have tasted something or seen something because they're you know they're they're the foodies they're the ones focused on the yeah. on the plate so they might have seen something that would be of interest to them to grow and um, so when we sit down in november we review all that we've done and maybe uh, a few little innovations for the new year and then um probably from about now from about you know mid-april onwards i'd meet weekly with the head chef um to discuss what's what's in season and what is coming into season and uh, what they can expect to see up from the kitchen. So um, it's very important. You you learn a huge amount from the chefs because they, while I want to grow a big healthy plant, they might want to use it a little bit earlier, a little bit smaller and a little bit more succulent. So it's a constant uh, uh, conversation with them. And then, and then working out quantities, how much of everything to grow and um, and whether we need a succession of uh, of seed sowing, or whether they can whether they can cope with a glut of something. 
So yeah. um, we're, we're constantly in conversation with them about um, about all of those things. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of managing, I guess, and you know, yeah. I suppose coping with with as you say, gluts or or shortages and uh, continuity. You know, continuity is is important in some ways for a menu. Obviously, with with you know, with some specials and whatnot. But there's there's certainly continuity through months of of certain requirements. I guess. Yeah, yeah I mean, at the moment, let's take for example, it's asparagus season, and so yeah. um, when the asparagus comes into season, it's in season, and that's it. You can't. It's not that. It's not something you can sow successionally. Yeah. It just when it grows, it grows. So uh, just as I say, almost giving the kitchen a heads up a week in advance when you start to see it peeping through in the ground and saying to them, right, you'll have asparagus for the next six weeks. They usually pick asparagus for six weeks um, and that they know it's coming because uh, when it comes, it comes hard and fast and, and there's, there's lots of it there. So, And in Ballymaloo House, um, Mrs. Allen, Myrtle Allen, would have always written... Um, a menu every uh, week to reflect what was seasonal. So they're used to that, but yeah. it's still you don't want to surprise them with um, with a lot of uh, asparagus suddenly for them to react to. Yeah. So, yeah, you need to keep that constant communication going. Speaking of asparagus, it's it's a, it's a strange one. I don't grow it. Um, I absolutely yeah. love it, the taste of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always feel it's... A massive effort for, as you said, six weeks of a harvest. Um, yeah, I totally agree. It's high maintenance. It's yeah. a high maintenance crop. I mean, it's fantastic. It's one of my favourites to eat straight out of the ground. That's oh, beautiful. Um, yeah. I mean, you just yeah, just to eat it raw, and it's got that nutty taste to it, and there's nothing beats it. But it is high maintenance. Um, so I grow a, a I grow a meter a meter wide by seventy meters long. Of wow. asparagus, um, yeah, and it's and we were only talking today. Apparently, that asparagus bed was there when um, Mr. and Mrs. Allen bought the farm, so it's at least fifty years old, if not sixty years old. And um, and and I don't, I don't want anything to happen to it on my watch. Yeah. So I treat it really well. Um, but your asparagus doesn't like competition, um, so we keep it as weed free as possible all year round. Um, so you're you're weeding it at least three four times a year. Um, in November, I give it a good feed of uh, seaweed if I can get it. Good thick mulch of seaweed in November, um, and then harvest it for six weeks. And after six weeks, then I'm fairly uh, strict on we stop uh, picking it because I want the energy to go back. Energy to go back in, yeah. Itself. And you're right; yeah, it doesn't it doesn't like competition. So essentially, it's it's tying up that that space wherever you have it in your garden or in your case in, in a big uh, 70 meter long bed it's tying yeah. up completely tying up that space because you can't even intersow it or you know no. really there's nothing it just needs to be on its own and that's that's why i feel it's always a tricky one because it, you need a, a lot of space you're giving you're dedicating a lot of space for a, such a short window albeit that it's a beautiful window exactly yeah it, it, it does you can't intercrop it we, we also go um vegetable called sea kale which yeah. is again it's an unusual vegetable um, it occurs naturally by the sea and we crop that for even less it's it's, um, it's uh, three months of the year but at least you can grow something in around it it doesn't hugely like competition we used to grow nasturtiums in and around it but it it, it didn't like that at all yeah. but 
um, you can grow lower things like uh, uh, herbs, annual herbs and things like that in and around the bed um, yeah. to get value out of the ground. But um, but asparagus, it, it it is lovely. And of course, then the the, the well, it depends who you speak to. The three year wait or the four year wait um, between planting and your first harvest. Your first harvest, yeah. Because you 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 plant it and then wait for three or four years before you before you harvest. Yeah. So um, yeah, it can be it can be it's it's rewarding, but you'd want to like asparagus. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm not sure if you can hear that noise in the background. We. There's absolutely torrential rain after coming out of nowhere. Ten minutes ago, the sun was shining, but it's torrential now. Um, it happened to me just ten minutes ago, I'd say, at work. We got, we got the last five minutes yeah, um, of the day. Gusts of, wind, gusts of wind as well and, and driving rain. And literally ten minutes ago, it was, it was calm and sunny. So it's, it's, it's a strange day. Um, so four-acre wall garden... Uh, I presume there's a, a greenhouse of some sort there. Yeah, the small little lean-to green, uh, greenhouse. Um, the, it, it's actually made up of two greenhouses. One is glass um, and the other is um, is that polycarbonate. Yeah. And uh, it's it's lean-to up against the south-facing wall. Very good. Um, which is fantastic from our point of view. It just keep, it get, keeps it nice and, and, and hot. And um, it's it's um, invaluable to me because uh, one of the most important crops I grow, I suppose, is salad leaves for the kitchen. Yeah. And it allows me to um, have a 12 month of the year uh, supply for the kitchen. So you're able to grow, um, you're able to over, overwinter salad crops and then keep a crop going um, through the summer and uh, well, we, we do so outside as well yeah. but you're able to keep a crop going um, and then we grow um, tomatoes as well inside yeah. lots of heritage varieties of tomatoes Very good and the salad leaves so what, what salad leaves so obviously you're, you're using all the usual suspects I suppose rockets and uh, different lettuces yep. and whatnot. what are you using to get yeah. you through the winter period are you still using the same ones or are you, you switching to Purslane or anything like that Exactly, the purslane, the land cress, which I find is lovely. Um, it doesn't get, it doesn't seem to be of any interest to the slugs. Um, so the, there's no leaf damage on it. But um, yeah, we get uh, the winter purslanes. The the um, mabuna, um, which is one of the oriental mustards. Oh yeah, um, that's uh, fantastic for overwintering. I find mizuna and the red mizuna, so the um, red frills. All those oriental mustards, they, they nearly prefer the winter months. Um, so I'll sow them um, at the end of August mm-hmm. um, and I sow them into modular trays uh, at the end of August and then transplant them uh, usually in September into the ground. And they can start to look a bit sad around Christmas time because you've been picking them and the growth is slow. Yeah. But in in February, once once you have it, even a you know, a suggestion of warmer days or, or lengthening days. Yeah. They 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 come back to life again, and you can pick, um, you can pick away at them until um, uh, until you're you, until you start to really warm up. Yeah. So yeah, I love the oriental uh, oriental mustards. Um, spinach, I'm loving at the moment as well. Um, a couple of things, komatsuna, which is a another oriental. 
a vegetable. It's it's got a leaf almost like a chrysanthemum. Yeah. But it's uh, it's a lovely green. And when they get too big, then you can use them. When they they like to they like to use them small in the um, in the kitchen in Ballymaloo. But when they get a bit bigger, then they can be used in stir fries and things like that for greens. Okay, so you get you're getting a, a dual function out of it. Yeah. Tom- Tomatoes-wise, you said you're growing heritage varieties. Um, and last year, when I was down in Ballymaloo Cookery School, they had a fairly big glass house with with uh, tomatoes in it. And uh, it struck up a, a conversation and an episode that I had on the podcast at the time around mid-season tomato care and the pruning of the leaves up along. Um mm-hmm. My take on it is that some people overdo the pruning and actually take off way too much leaf. What way do you manage it? Yeah. Do you would you be? Uh, uh, no, I'm 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 not for. I know in the in the cookery school sometimes they can strip the leaves right back. Yeah. Um and and uh, just totally expose the tomatoes for ripening. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't do that so much. Um. I uh, I I twist and shoot all the time, which is I I Michael Kelly from GIY in there in Waterford. I was yeah. watching his program one evening, and he had a great tip, which is when you're planting the tomato to take to to plant the the container alongside it, so that the 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 water goes straight. So you can water the pots, and it goes straight down to where the roots are. So it's okay. it's almost bypasses the top of the plant. So um but I also plant um a string underneath the tomato and yeah. run it to the roof. And so when I'm doing the watering uh, every day I'll be twisting, guiding the, the tomato up the string and also uh, taking the side shoots um yeah. out from um from the plant itself. And then uh once once you hit about August I'll start to de-leaf um, yeah. a little bit, but I'd say I only ever get to about knee height um, off the ground. Um, I'm more inclined to water less um, yeah. at that time of year, um, and I don't know whether it's in my head, whether it's just psychological, but I feel that um, the tomatoes can get a bit watery if you're if you're watering them every day. So I tend to uh, roll back on the watering rather than um, de-leafing, but. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, in, that's interesting because that's I would I would say almost almost identical to what I do and I I was I was just wondering it, you know I saw some people online and they were literally stripping almost every leaf off them and I was saying like that just looks a bit harsh to me and I'm not really sure that it's the right way to go whereas me personally I was doing a little bit like what you were doing a little bit of stripping from August onwards from the base and definitely when it came to watering I was only watering if by the look of the plant, I thought it needed a drop. And yes. funny enough, uh, I always use mycorrhizal fungi when I'm planting them. And I would say I hardly watered from about the middle of August. I would I, I would say almost never, a couple of times maybe, but not, not too often and not too much because they never looked like they needed it, but yet still they were fruiting brilliantly and they looked under no stress whatsoever. So all looked good. Um and it was just interesting that I, I saw a lot of people just going so harsh on the pruning. And then I was wondering, is it, you know, somebody sees somebody else doing it. So they think I better do that. But it's not always the right way, I don't think. So, yeah. No, and and um, the glass house in the cookery school, it's an acre of, of glass house. And, yeah. and while it's very bright and, and that, I can imagine if they had full leaf um, the way I leave it, 
it might cast a lot of shadow, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah, possibly. So, whereas mine are grown in a line against that south-facing wall, so they're they're in no competition for light. They're 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 spoiled rotten. Um, yeah. So I don't need to delete as much. Um, as I say, when when the because my tomatoes will stay in the ground kind of into October, and um, and then I might start, you know, just just making sure that they get the maximum out of the day from a yeah. light point. The days are so shortening, and yeah. yeah, you want to make sure the last few get to ripen and whatever, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And are you growing any any of the heritage varieties? No, not no heritage varieties. And I was going to this year, but to be honest with you, it's I had such I had a good bit of seed left, so I said, right, I've got to sow these for this year, and then next year dabble in another few. Um, yeah. So I'm a couple of them. Gardener's delight, which is obviously the you know, an old an old variety, not that yeah. very blight resistant, but a very good tomato. I have mm-hmm. one called Mountain Magic. That oh, one right. was by far the best performer last year. It was, um, it, and it's not a heritage variety by any means. I think it's quite a new variety, but it's blight resistant and okay. that they were beautiful tomatoes. And then I have Roma and some other one yep. that I can't remember offhand, but no, not, not heritage varieties, but I was going to this year and they said I better use up the seed I had. I try and grow because I don't grow a, a, a huge amount of tomatoes. I try and grow, um, Different colors and shapes. Yeah. Um. So um. So that when they're mixed together in a salad, they're yeah, at least beautiful. they're they're pleasing to the eye. But it, sometimes you do forego. Like I grow one tomato called lemon pear, or is it lemon drop? One or the other, and it looks beautiful. It's like a small yellow pear, yeah. and it's stunning looking. But there's not much from from a flavor point of view. Okay. Um. Whereas you know, if I grow something like I love um black crim. Yeah, it's a lovely beefy kind of tomato, and uh, fantastic in a sandwich. But you know, it's a it's a dark red. It doesn't. Uh, it's not a, a wow tomato. Um, but a mix together. You know, I think sometimes the um, the what you lack in one, you gain in another. Yeah, um, yeah. That kind of. Yeah. We're 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 almost twenty minutes in, and we've kind of talked about tomatoes, salads, and <laughs> and uh, asparagus. But I'm sure there's a vast array of of uh, certainly vegetables that you're growing. Just tell us about some of the other ones that are are key to key to the garden, key to the kitchen. Yeah, well, um, let me think. Uh, the um, what I'm planting at the moment um, is a lot of brassicas, getting yeah. them into the ground. So um, I'm thinking about. Uh, Christmas this week, would you believe? Because I've just uh, planted my Brussels sprouts yeah. into the ground, um, so they're they're a fantastic crop. Um, uh, there's nothing like a homegrown, I think, uh, Brussels sprout. Uh, I know some people hate them, but um, uh, they're they're beautiful, fresh out of the ground. So we grow from a brassicas point of view, Brussels sprouts, uh, the kales, curly kales, a ragged ragged jack kale. And um, the Cavallo Nero, which is like a um, yes. very dark green strap. Um, and I love that. Um, and we, we grow a lot of purple sprouting broccoli, which um, which really gets us through the winter. Yeah. Um, we're, we're lucky as, as, as the, the person who, um, who, who uh, 
requested me, I suppose it sounds strange to say, but the person who had asked about um, me coming on the podcast, we're in a very forgiving kind of microclimate Mm -hmm. with the area that we're in. So not only are the walls giving us an an extra little bit of protection, but um, I suppose the microclimate, that that being so close to Ballycotton and the sea affords us, is fantastic as well because it... um, it means that we don't get as cold a winter as uh, as perhaps anywhere further north would get. So we'll overwinter crops really well. Things like purple sprouting broccoli is fantastic, and it's you know it's again the chefs love it. It's very elegant on the plate, yeah. um, and it's, it's just delicious as well. Crop. Delicious as well, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'll I'll harvest that. <clears throat> excuse me. I do an early variety, so we'll harvest it from August right through to March next year. Um, and the uh, leeks uh, will be going into the ground soon. Um, we sow them inside to start with, um, yeah. and then we transplant them outside. Um, and uh, things like shallots and red onions. Um, and then we do the, the, the pumpkins and courgettes. Um, I do successional beetroot uh, sowings, carrots, um, spring onions. We grow nevettes at this time of year, which are the little white kind of buttery um, turnip, and then we grow sweet turnips uh, into the winter. And okay, they, so the uh, nevette then, I, I wasn't familiar with that, but that's like, like the Milan purple top or a snowball or one of those, correct. is it? Yeah, snowball. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a lovely uh, white uh, turnip that yeah. um, that we harvest about um, golf ball size. Um, and they're just lovely at that size. Yeah, um, beautiful taste as well. And, yeah, exactly, and they and and no none of the fossils are having to peel it either. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Just skin and all, as we say down here. And um, potatoes, wise, are you you're growing potatoes there? I grow a small amount of potatoes. Um, I couldn't even if I put the the entire walled garden to potatoes, I couldn't grow enough. Um, so I grow. Um, uh, again, I probably grow about a fifty meter long bed, and I grow. Um, different varieties, um, things like Home Guard, Pink Fur Apple, um, Orla, a few Golden Wonders thrown in there. Um, I grow the, the blight resistant ones, the Axonas and Sarpomira. Yeah. How um, do you find so those actually? Enough. And how do the chefs like them? Because they're, they're a funny one. They're, they're obviously a great, a great potato in terms of blight resistance. Um, mm. personally, I find them a little bit watery. Uh, but but I did hear people saying that if you leave them in the ground actually longer than than some of the others, they actually turn the dry matter increases in them a little bit. So how do you how do you like them, or how does the chefs take them? I'd be perfectly honest with you. The chefs probably don't see them at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> in Ballymaloo, around Ballymaloo, there's uh, there's probably between family Allen family members and people who live on site long term. There's probably about 25, 30 people who yes. um, who who live here, and and it's mostly for them that I'm growing the potatoes. Okay. Um, Ballycotton area would be kind of famous, well, maybe famous in Cork for um, for potatoes and early yeah. potatoes. So there's there's no uh, shortage in supply of local potatoes around here. Um, around yeah. So yeah, yeah. um so but uh, the the chefs particularly like um well the, the, our head chef at the moment um. Dervla particularly likes the pink fur apple because okay. she likes that as a salad potato. And yeah. I must admit, it's one of my favorites as well. I like, um, I like a waxy potato. Um, so, um, 
yeah, they 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 love the the pink fur apples, but I grow such small quantities that it's hard to um to supply them fully um for yeah. for the amount of things that yeah, they need. Yeah, it's take a huge amount obviously to to uh, supply a hotel like that for that that period of time. Um exactly. You're you're growing you're growing fruit as well. So what what fruits are are part of the the wall garden? Yeah, well we're um from a soft fruit point of view, I suppose we start with gooseberries now in the next couple of weeks. Um, we've just put in a new gooseberry cordon because the chefs tell us they can never have enough. Um, so we've gooseberries, um, red and white currants, uh, black currants, uh, raspberries. We grow autumn raspberries, some strawberries. Um, unusual things again now, like um, the the strawberry guava, the Myrtus ugni, which is a lovely... Um, Little berry that we grow, um, and that'll, that's usually harvested in October time. And then we have, aside from the wall garden, there's a two acre orchard, uh, here on site as well. And we grow, um, apples, pears, plums, quince, um, what else? I'm probably forgetting something. The orchard is, is specifically to make, um, Ballymaloo cider and, um, and apple juice, and wow. um, so that's harvested all in one go. But we'd grow lots of pears against the. I mean, the the beauty of the south facing uh, walled gardens is that you can you can have restricted fruit up against the walls, and it um, it ripens beautifully. So we we would grow uh, peaches uh, up against the wall there, and and peaches grow fantastically in this in that environment. Um, peaches, pears. Uh, plums, gauges, and a few cherries. Yeah, you're 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 able to get a a, a huge amount of of crops like peaches. You couldn't even consider them where I live up in the up in the Midlands. But um, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing the difference that the area can make, and then the fact that you're in the wall garden as well. Go, going back yeah. outside to the the to the orchard, you said two acres, was it? Two acres. There's about three hundred and sixty trees there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably about eight years old at this stage, so it's fully fully in production. And you're growing predominantly for cider, but obviously that's a lot of a lot of trees. Um, and I know you're you're growing organically down there. Uh, mm-hmm. Disease problems? How how is that? Are you have do you have issues? What do you do if you do have issues, or or what's what's happening from a disease perspective on the apples? Yeah, the the the. The most worrying disease we have is canker, mm-hmm. and um, and it's uh, it's uh, it, it really is an air circulation. The more I mean, when when you when you're pruning 360 trees, you've a lot of time to think about what's going wrong with the trees. And um, a lot of them, the luckily the dabonets, which are the cider apple, and uh, they're an apple that if you bit into it, it would dry out your mouth. They seem to um, be very um, Blight, or sorry, not blight, canker resistant. Yeah. So they're okay. So when we prune, we prune out the canker so that it doesn't spread. Um, we're growing quite a few uh, bramleys and crimson bramleys as well. Now they seem to be more susceptible to it. Yeah. And um, but it, it, we prune every year. It takes us about ten days to get ten solid days to get through all of that pruning, um, and uh, and it's just to be to be. Uh, ruthless and to cut out the canker and to encourage new growth um, all of the time. We had a problem once with sheep 
um, they got into the orchard um, and did a bit of damage on the bark. Um, but um, armed with a with some very wet um, moss and some cling film, I kind of bandaged them up, and they seemed to repair quite well. Very clever. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> YouTube. And um, <laughs> and other than that, we're lucky. I mean, the trees. I I have a rabbit problem at the moment in the walled garden. So, but the trees in the orchard are mature enough at this stage yeah, that they're. Um, they're kind of past the stage that the rabbits would do any damage. Yeah. Um, and yeah. variety wise in the, in the orchard again, you're talking about Bramley, crimson Bramley. Um, yeah. And then I'm, I'm, I'm going a couple of, um, when, when the orchard was planted, it would have been, um, they would have spoken with the, the person who makes the cider, which is contrast up in Tipperary. Oh yeah. So, um, he would have advised, I think it was Khan, would have advised on what varieties to to use. Um, so there's a couple of commercial varieties. Um, let me think if I can remember the names. Uh, there's Zar, T-S-A-R, I think is, is how it's spelled. Yeah. Uh, Delacchino. Um, there, uh, let me think, what else? Um, no, I can't think off the top of my head. Yeah, but but there, there's... Is, there's probably about uh, 60 trees that are a mix of different other uh, commercial varieties that would um, uh, that would add to the flavour of the, of the trees yeah. uh, of the cider. Sorry. Yeah, brilliant. And you 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 mentioned this pruning, so it takes about 10 days. Are you winter pruning or are you are you spring pruning? because I know I'm winter pruning. Yeah, winter pruning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, interesting to see. I uh, just want to go back to potatoes for a second. Uh, yeah. How early can you get your potatoes into the ground down there? Just uh, typically. I usually aim for, for the 17th of March. Yeah. So uh, in and around that time. Um, so it's, uh, it's like you're saying there, how, how early can you get onto the ground? It does depend on the weather. We're, we're lucky with the soil we have here. We're on limestone. And it's it's quite free draining the soil that we have. So if I get a couple of dry days, then I'm good to go and to get onto the um, onto the ground. Um, so I usually aim for the 17th, but I don't beat myself up if I don't make that deadline. Yeah. Um, and we try and get them in then. Yeah, perfect. Um, we when we were when we were just chatting before we started recording, you mentioned trialing no dig, and and we spoke a little bit yeah. about that. Um, so. Tell us about how that's going, what you're, what you're finding, um, and you know whether you see it being something that could be scaled upwards. Obviously, to the four acres might be a bit difficult, but um, I suppose your thoughts on it so far and how it's going for you. Yeah, so I'm about four years into it, and previously the ground where that I'm, I'm, I'm assigning as no dig would have been ploughed every year. Um, and we would have added uh, organic matter, probably uh, well-rotted cow manure to it. So I suppose um, year one was just a normal year for it. Um, So we're into about year four now. And uh, I suppose the the, the advantages that I'm looking for is less weeds, which I do think it it delivers on that. Um, You do find less weeds. Um, The main advantage actually to me um, is that I can keep crop my my 
working year, I suppose, restarts again maybe in in mid-March. Mm-hmm. So um, over the winter, as, as I was explaining, I still have crops in the ground. I'm still uh, bringing stuff up to the kitchen. And then from um, March onwards, or sorry, from, from end of February onwards, I'm taking everything out of the ground so that I can restart again, so I can manure everywhere and, and plough the manure in and start again from scratch. But uh, if you do that uh, to the entire garden, then you're left with nothing for the kitchen, yes. uh, except for what comes out of the glasshouse. So the, the nosy beds, for me, the real winning point at the moment has been the fact that I can keep crops in the ground and work around it um, to keep uh, bringing um, something up to the kitchen. So this year I had um, purple sprouting broccoli. We had chicories that overwintered. Um, I had green green onions and green garlic um, and and a full supply of, of parsley. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy, from that point of view, I'm very happy that I can keep um, cropping and keep uh, bringing garden vegetables up to the kitchen. Yep. Um, so uh, from the point of view of that, it's, 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 um, it's well worth the effort. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, as, as we had touched on, I suppose the, the amount of compost that would be required to top dress it, yeah. I don't, I try to make as much compost as I can, but I would still rely on buying in um, a compost of some sort, yeah. be it mushroom compost or um, a, a, a geop horse manure kind of product. Yeah. Um, I still rely on that in order to um, to dress the beds. So it's um, it's not a closed loop system by any means, but it certainly, it's, it earns its keep from the point of view that I have um, a crops in there year round. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one, and and I think that is where people talk about the challenge. It's it's it obviously works perfectly on a on a you know relatively small garden scale, uh, and it's when mm. it's when people want to possibly scale it up to a slightly bigger model, um, getting into market garden type size, that yeah. that the compost or the need for compost becomes uh, a bit different. The fact that you're even in your even in your dig beds, the fact that you're dressing and plowing in or digging in um, farmyard manure, you're probably not going to see the advantage of um, the water retention. You know that when you're using the no dig, there's almost I won't say no need, but there's a lot less need for watering in season. But you're probably getting that benefit already by the fact that you're digging in into your dig beds, the the farmyard in, manure. Yeah. I mean, you're, it's actually um, a question I get asked a lot. We get we get um, uh, quite a few tourists from the states, um, and they'll come and ask, "How do you manage all the watering?" And I I I don't water uh, is the short uh, answer to it because I wouldn't have the time uh, to to water the the complete uh, area. But um, we water in plants uh, when we're planting, and that should be enough to yeah. maintain them for about two weeks until they get their, their feet down and then um, and then they fend for themselves. And I'm in Ballymaloo uh, almost 10 years and I think there was, the, it, we had that fantastic summer one year um, the only thing that I watered would have been pumpkins and courgettes yeah. um, that would have been outside. Everything else um, it, it survived on its own its own merit. So we didn't we didn't 
water additionally. I, I tell you, like, we also water the sweet pea because they're they're quite important. When we grow the cut flowers for the house, they love the sweet pea. So I I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't not deliver on that for them. Yeah. So we water sweet pea as well. Yeah, that that is one of the major advantages of no dig or if if not uh, adding organic matter is the the water retention during during dry periods. It's like mm. it, it, it it's huge. It's hu- it's hugely beneficial to to have organic matter in the soil for holding on to water. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 the the soil structure underneath. I mean, I'm finding it. Um, it is improving. Maybe in year two and three, it was kind of. I did have to use um, the, the the soil structure wasn't as crumbly as I was expecting it to be. It was a little still compacted, mm-hmm. but it seems to be improving over time, which is great. And and uh, I mean, we don't know the half of what's going on underneath the soil. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, I the half. So you know, it's it's um, it's repairing itself. I would say by. Um, and you know, every every time you plough, I am conscious that you're releasing carbon into the air, and we're trying to reduce our carbon um, emissions. So you know, it, it's it, it certainly would be a, a way forward, um, but just on the the scale is is still an area that trips me up. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see over the years how it develops and and if it's if it's able to increase in a setup like your own. Um, yeah. Cut flowers. You mentioned that being part of it as well. Um, and I'd imagine a huge part of it because obviously hotels, they need a lot of, or they like a lot of flower, um, you know, as much as possible all year round, uh, to look well. So what, what, uh, are you growing in terms of cut flowers for, for Ballymaloo House? Yeah, well, I suppose we're just coming out at the end of, of tulip season. So, um, we would plant, oh, uh, two or three thousand bulbs. Uh, every year uh, between tulips, alliums, anemones, muscari, um, uh, yeah, uh, narcissi. So we, we'll plant every year. We, we, we'll look back at the design and this, the display that we would have given and and change it or modify it for um, for next year. The same way we would really meet with the chefs and and ask them what to change and improve on. Um we do the same with, with the florist who's here. Um so we we grow a lot of bulbs and we're coming into allium season now. So uh uh Sparocephalon and Purple Sensation are just looking fantastic uh, in the garden at the moment. Um and then we have uh herbaceous borders so we're growing a lot of herbaceous material and then annuals. So we're kind of getting into the planting out of annuals at the moment. So everything from cosmos to anterhinums, uh, we grow the bells of Ireland, uh, we grow, um, what else am I planting out at the moment? Asters, I'm loving the asters at the moment. Yes. I know the straw flower, straw, straw flower, I think they call it, and yeah. it's a great cut flower and it's great for um, drying. Um, I think fashion-wise, it's a bit 1970s, but I love it. Um, so we grow a lot of annuals um, for the for the um, for the house as well. And some things work. Um, the house is quite warm all year round, so sometimes those things uh, don't like the the flowers don't like it when they're brought into the heat. Yeah. Um, the florist usually treats them so that they'll they'll have longevity. Um, but 
uh, some things don't work from, as I say, they don't like the heat. Some don't work from a colour perspective, you know. So yeah. what we what we anticipate will emerge isn't quite what um, the florist is looking for. So okay. um, again, we would meet in November and, and uh, catch up on what worked for the year and what didn't work for the year. Well, how big of a team have you? Is it's uh, there's obviously a few um, few people in in this. Uh, no, um, I'm full time. Yeah. And year round, um, and uh, and then I get somebody to work with me for the summer. Wow. So I get, yeah. So it's it's now you had said four four acres. I'll just correct you. It's two acres. Oh, sorry. Which, um, so a little bit more manageable. No, 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 it's fine. Um, so. Um, I usually get horticulture students from uh, one of the universities. Um, I think, I don't know, that might change now uh, over the next couple of years with people maybe retraining and deciding to come into horticulture. Yeah. But we found it difficult over the last couple of years to get uh, to get a student for the summer. But um, it's a fantastic opportunity to come. You learn a huge amount of growing yeah, for a hotel, sure. growing a different lots of varieties so we would take on a student in March and um, till September end of September if they want to stay that long but they're usually going back to college um, and uh, yeah and then uh, on a Wednesday we take volunteers as well so um, so you know come the, the, the winter months it's lovely and it's quiet and <laughs> I enjoy the, 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 the peace and quiet but then by the end of the winter I'm looking forward to um, getting going again and ramping up on. Getting going again and uh, and and chatting to people, um, other than the dog who doesn't listen to me at all. But um, <laughs> so so I'm there full time. Because long I'm there full time, but definitely uh, rely heavily on um, on uh, the student for the summer and and then uh, youngsters, the young kids from around the area come and they pick fruit, which okay. they love doing, and I love seeing them coming. So yeah. that's a huge help as well. Um, so they pick fruit throughout yeah, the summer. Yeah, ex- extra bodies because it's, it's yeah. even though it's two acres, as you said, it's it, it, there's still quite a bit going on and, and quite a lot of jobs to be done, especially at certain times of the year. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned at the start having the meeting with the with the chefs and, you know, they're looking to do something new or something innovative. Um, is there anything particular this year that... Or, or even last year, that was a huge success. Something that people may not have heard of before: a certain vegetable cooked in a certain way. Or is there anything there that's a little bit different? Oh, now let me think. Catching you on the spot now. Sorry. Yeah, you are. Um, you know, it, it, it's a it's a very simple thing, but it it kind of came literally just by accident of a chef coming down and us walking past by was um, spring onions. Um, it's a very very boring answer, but. Um, I grow spring onions as successionally as possible, yeah. and and the way I sow them is I I sow a little pinch bunched together. Yeah, so multi sowing. The name on the package: bunching onions. Yeah. So I, I sow them in a pinch yeah. with a, with about um, uh, five or six inches in between. But uh, what they what they started to love last year was using the spring onions, maybe about um, about six or seven centimeter or inches long, and using them as garnish. Which was fantastic from my point of view because you know it's so easy to um, to to uh, to pick yep. and 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 harvest for the kitchen and uh, it was great then because you were um, you were eating them right the way through. So as they got bigger, then the use changed. You know they were they were used in salads and towards the end in the winter they were used in in champ. Yeah. 
uh, recipes from that point of view. But it was just, it's, it, I love seeing that from a point of view of them. Um, you know, as I say, just when the chef comes down, just an accident like that, when they um, when they um, they stumble upon something and it it inspires them and yeah. it requires absolutely no extra work from them. <laughs> exactly what you're looking for. It's 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 an interesting one. Exactly. I suppose there's there's a lot of traditional vegetables. Let's say, um, and this is not you know related to Ballymaloo. This is just a general a general point. There's a lot of traditional vegetables that you know the likes of cabbage. Or a Swede, for example, um, and I think people are going away from them a bit, but mm-hmm. I do think that they're you know they have a place and they're they're actually beautiful if they're cooked in a different way. I think maybe the the old soggy cabbage bacon and cabbage type dinners that people might associate from twenty or thirty years ago. There's I suppose different ways now, and it's 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 just nice to see traditional vegetables done. In a in a newer or a more modern way, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and um, and with different chefs come different ways of using it, and, and different, uh, as I say, different varieties, or, or they'll take it at a different size or a different stage. So, um, oh yeah, they, 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 I mean, kale was was all the rage, I'd say, a couple of years ago. Um, now it seems to be coming into cauliflower. Um, so um, it's trying to stay with the curve as opposed to ahead of the curve. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, lo- I, I, I love getting the feedback from the chefs as to what, what they like and what they don't like. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, Mags, it's, it's been a brilliant chat, really interesting. I, I must actually get down and go to the right place this time <laughs> uh, to, see, to see the gardens at some point. Um, lovely to see you. Yeah, it sound, sounds interesting. And yeah, lots going on there. I'm sure there's loads more we could have talked about, but it's been a really interesting chat. Lots of great information there. And Max, thank you very much for coming on Mastering at My Garden podcast. Not at all. Lovely to chat to you too, John. So that's been this week's episode. A huge thanks to Max. There's uh, yeah, so much going on there. And uh, we could have talked for a lot longer, actually, because I'm sure there was lots of things that we didn't talk about. Interesting to hear the the comparisons between the dig system and the no dig system and I suppose the advantages and then the possible challenges of scaling that upwards. Um, but yeah, loads there. Um, again, just to see the different areas, you know, being able to get potatoes into the ground around March 17th, you, you'd be very, very lucky to, to get to do that here where I am. You're probably looking at a month later at the earliest. Um, so it's all, it's always interesting to see, you know, different areas and, and different things. And hopefully I'll get down there to see that. Uh, garden this year at some point in time so that's been this week's episode thanks for listening and until the next time happy gardening mm-hmm.